Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions and provides unbiased answers. Chart is definitely in a downtrend, and it's uh, it's definitely not cheap enough yet. Invest Talk. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, July 25th, 2022 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I look forward to this hour with you to give you my straight and unbiased answers and perspective on this rapidly changing market. And I know you have probably you had a great weekend, hopefully, and you probably thought of some questions over the weekend. And this is the perfect time to reach out to me. They're live during our four to five Pacific time hour or on a 24 hour listener line. Either way, the number never changes. It's still eight at eight ninety nine chart. So I encourage you to um, to reach out and uh, I'm going to do my best to help guide you through these inflationary times and inflation means volatility uh, and inflation historically very volatile. We have just gone through a long stretch of 20, 30 years where inflation has been relatively benign, very low, one to two percent, uh, typically not a whole lot of volatility there. But historically, inflation has big increases and then tends to crash uh, and and move all around and is not necessarily uh, typically very consistent. Some years it's big, some years it's more modest. And we're starting to experience that. And that's what you should expect going forward, which means the market is going to experience more volatility because more sectors, a lot of sectors in the market, some benefit from from inflation, some are hurt by inflation. So when you have that moving a lot, suddenly you have higher market volatility. So it's a little tidbit there to, to help you understand why you're seeing the level of volatility you are now and how to move forward and adjust and not get too caught up in the narratives because oftentimes those narratives can change fast. So we're going to unpack as much as we can on this hour to help you take your next step in your investment journey and to make some right decisions going forward. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, my name is Aaron. Uh, I just started recently listening to your podcast and I just had a a question regarding a Roth IRA. I just opened my my first account for Roth IRA and I'm wondering kind of where I should start investing some of my money to start out with. Uh, Any tips or stocks that I should be looking at investing would be much appreciated. Thanks. Well, per SEC guidelines, I can't tell you, I can't recommend 
uh, a particular company, a particular fund or anything like that, because I don't know your personal situation, your risk tolerance level, your goals, et cetera. That's something that we do with clients, with uh, listeners when we do portfolio reviews, et cetera. So I can't give you a, a recommendation. But what, I try, what we try to do on this show to stay within guidelines and give you some direction is to give you a sense of how to think about your portfolio. Think about how to outfit, think of the type of assets that you, that you want to own. And I've said this for a long period of time now that we are entering in, in, into an inflationary world where hard assets are going to be valued more. Assets that can produce real cash flows today, not the grandiose stories of going to Mars and uh, solving climate change 5, 10, 15 years from now. We're talking about businesses that can produce real products and services today, produce cash flows, and have pro profitable business models today. In an inflationary world where the cost of capital is going up, those are the companies that are going to do best. This is not like the last 10 to 12 years. So I know you're a newer investor, or newer listener, but this is the mantra that I've been talking about for an extended period of time, really since the beginning of the pandemic and seeing the trends in the uh, in inflation and how the world uh, was shifting. And we're entering a deglobalized world where uh, ESG continues to gain prominence, which uh, constricts overall supply of raw materials and inputs that go into uh, physical goods and, and the, the production of actual services that, that people need. Think of Uber, that's a service, uh, and higher cost of, of fuel there, et cetera. So think about businesses that can actually give you dividends and cash flow today, okay? Uh, and that those are typically, that's why I say value companies. Those are value companies, the companies that are valued for their production in the next few years, not their production a decade plus out. Hope that helps. Now, my focus point today is based on this question. Is it too late to add inflation protection to your portfolio? Now, everyone's situation is a little bit different, but we're going to look at the typical types of assets that, that do well in an inflationary environment. And this will hopefully give you a sense of what you should be adding allocation to at this time. And I'm going to give you the the pros and the cons, the, the drawbacks of certain inflation uh, type hedges and the, the upside as well. So we're going to look at that. also want to give you some understanding as we enter into the Fed meeting on Wednesday of what the interest rate futures market is saying about future Fed policy decisions. So we're going to look at that. And then inflation. There are signs inflation may have peaked, but how fast will it come down? Peaking is one thing, but it's not, and that's not really what's important. What's important is how fast does it come down and where does it level out at? And so we're going to hopefully uh, unpack that story. And then lastly, some stories in regards to crypto banks, stable coins, and many, many people thought they were safe. And there were a few crashes over the past few months, Celsius, Voyager, etc. And it's a good learning lesson that when you when you stretch for yield, understand that you are taking risk. When you see something yielding well above what you can get in CDs, money markets, etc., then you are taking some level of risk. Now, sometimes that risk is smart. 
And sometimes it's not. And, but you need to be aware of that. You need to know what the risks are and uh, to be able to, to take it, right? You need to know the full picture and we're going to look at that story. But ultimately, I want to hear from you. 888.99 chart is how you reach me. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had the S&P uh, up about five points. So it was really a flat day after we had that pullback on Friday on the bad snap news. And this was an interesting day because we had a little bit of follow through on the downside for growth, right? Yes, on, on Friday, growth did very poorly because of, of Snap and the, the follow on effect with Meta and Facebook, or Meta, Meta is Facebook, Meta and Google and other tech businesses that are very, um, very ad focused and ad, uh, ad dependent. Uh, and Snap struggles certainly weighed there. And then you had a follow through today where large cap value was actually up 0.8%, small cap value up 1.18%. Large cap growth down 62 basis points. So the spread between small cap value and large cap growth was nearly 2% just today. So that was an interesting little, little tidbit that value absolutely outperformed in today's market. What are we going to next? I know we're going to something. We're going to a break. Here we go. Now, this is your chance to call with your finance and investment question at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Now, from time to time, we receive email questions from our listeners, so let's take one now. Colin says, use a subscription-based uh, technical analysis platform that provides the key numbers to watch for technical levels. I'm wondering if you could comment on whether it is acceptable to use a subscription-based technical analysis platform that provides the key numbers to watch for technical levels. Additionally, how can someone find their own trade ideas based on watch, watching, looking up a smattering of ticker symbols? Should I pitch, pick a few stocks and trade and learn the ins and outs of the charts? This would be just a small portion of my overall portfolio. Okay, good question. So there are a lot of 
call them black boxes that you can subscribe to that are going to give you, you know, buy and sell points. And, and typically those are far overrated uh, and they work sometimes, but not in others. Uh, if, if it worked that great, guess what they would do? They would just start their own hedge fund and just print money. And then they'd get, they'd garner a lot more, uh, you know, investment and they would become this multi multi billion dollar hedge fund and crush the market and not need to sell subscriptions. They'd make a lot more doing that than they would selling your, your monthly subscription. So typically those black box thing box things are, are not great. Now, where can you find, where, where do you find companies to, to research? Well, what you want to do is start with your fundamental analysis first. So look for good companies that have good business models, good leadership, good profitability, etc. Um, and then understanding the economic backdrop, what companies to be overweight or underweight, uh, etc. And then uh, when it comes to support levels that you might get out of some charting service or something like that, what's more important is going to be your uh, your patterns. So pattern recognition, pa understanding the patterns, consolidation patterns, um, uh, pullback patterns, etc. Those are going to be a lot more impactful than just single levels. And understanding moving averages, Fibonacci retracements, things like that, those are going to be uh, more instructive for you. Um, so you can subscribe to them and they may give you some good things to look at and good levels where there are there is support um, but it's not going to be the end-all be-all because the pattern itself is really what's going to play out oftentimes a stock comes back into a support and it might stay there for a while and the longer uh, a stock stays at support uh, the better odds that it's going to just consolidating to go lower uh, so understanding how those patterns evolve is very important so uh, take your time do your deep research and use uh, tools. There's Finviz is a great free one, but obviously we use more advanced ones, Morningstar, Ycharts, et cetera, that can screen out the different companies for deeper dive uh, data points, enterprise value to EBITDA, return on investor capital, um, not just your pay dividend payout ratio, but cash flow payout ratio if you're looking at a dividend stock. Those type of things that will go a little deeper than uh, the surface level things you're going to get for free. But you have to start somewhere. So using those to create a good watch list of the companies that you want to follow uh, is a good place to start. Now let's go to Darla in Fairfield and wants to talk about social security. Darla, you there? Yes, I am. Great, great. You had a question about social security? I do. Yes. My question is I retired um, early with uh, civil service. I had 12 years under CSRS and the last nine years under CSRS offset. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. um, my husband passed away last August, and I was told that I could apply for survivor benefits. Mm -hmm. And when I did apply for the survivor benefits, um, they indicated that I would fall under a two-thirds reduction and all the research that I've done on Social Security indicates that I don't fall under that reduction because I did do over the 60 months of CSRS offset. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to find someone that's really knowledgeable about that that can help me. That's a great question. I, I'm Honestly, I'm not the person for that. That's a, a deep Social Security uh, complex question. Um, there's, there's lots of Social Security uh, experts out there. Um, 
I'm just not one of them. So uh, I would continue to to look. I know I wish I wish I had an answer for you because once again this is a, a kind of a complex issue. Um, but why don't you email me separately? See, uh, send me some information on what you found, and hopefully I can decipher it for you. Thanks for the call, Darla. Now we're heading into a break, and I'm ready for your calls now at eight 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 ninety nine chart. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Now let's dig into my main focus point today, which is is it too late to add inflation protection to your portfolio? And this is a hot topic. And historically, investors are always late to the game, meaning they buy when there's headlines and they chase returns. So when inflation has shown up already, that's when they start thinking about buying inflation protection. And fortunately, oftentimes it's too late because the prices are already reflecting those higher inflation rates and higher interest rates. Now, typically investments that pay some sort of fixed rate CDs, bonds, they're the most vulnerable to inflation because their purchasing power goes down. The yield that you're getting is negative. And then on top of that, they're getting declining bond prices because interest rates are going up. So in an inflationary world, bonds tend to, new, tend to not do very good. And that's why I say if you're going to buy bonds, you want to take credit risk over duration risk because you want that higher those higher bond yields to impact you less. Okay. Now other investments are better suited to do well in inflationary times. And those could be inflation adjusted types of instruments like tips and I bonds. They could be those that generate higher returns in inflationary world and not linked to uh, or not li not linked to deliver a certain level of return to inflation but tend to do well which would be commodities commodity related equities REITs those tend to do fairly well in that environment and then investments that have long term better returns than inflation and that would be stocks okay now ideally investors would have an ongoing allocation to these infl inf inflation inv uh, protection vehicles on a strategic basis rather than trying to chase once inflation's already gone up. Unfortunately, most people don't do that. They chase the returns, they chase the story. Now the big question is it too late to add these this exposure now? And the big risk is if investors pay inflated prices for the securities to hedge against the risk, and then they can exacerbate things by overpaying for that protection. Okay. And so we're going to look at a few of the options and we're going to start off with tips. Now tips, uh, fall tips, payouts, tips, yield follows what's called CPI U. If that goes up, the owner of tips receive an increase in their principal value. If inflation goes down, the principal value goes down as well. Uh, once it matures, tips owners receive the original principal 
or inflation adjusted principal, whatever is greater. Okay. Now I bonds are a bit different and they pay a fixed rate of return set to when the bonds are purchased and they receive semi-annual adjustments to their interest level based on the CPI, CPIU. So same metric. Now tips holders receive semi-annual interest payments. I bond holders do not their interest accrues. So I bonds, your interest is actually deferred until you sell the bond. That's another thing that people don't realize. Oh, I'm getting a yield, but you're not actually getting the cash flow, which can be a good thing because maybe you don't want the cash flow and you rather defer that income till till later, until you redeem the bond. Okay. Now I bonds also have purchase restraints, $10,000 per individual and either one, or you won't lose money, your principal on I bonds. Okay. Tips, however, they can trade at a premium or a discount to what are called the break-even rate. Okay. Investors look at what is called the break-even rate, which is the difference between real yields on tips and the nominal yield on a treasury. So as of about right now, five-year tips is 2.7%. So basically, if inflation over the next five years averages above 2.7%, then you're going to you're going to gain. You're going to you're going to capture some of that hedge against inflation. If it's below that, it means you're overpaying for that inflation hedge. Okay, so you pay too much for tips often because that break-even rate is going to fluctuate, and what is the actual inflation rate could be very different. And at times, many have overrated. The threat of inflation. They've underrated its persistence and the current rate. So what you want to do here is probably dollar cost average if you're going to add some tips to your portfolio, because you could easily overpay. Now, over the last few months, the 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 break-even rates have come down, so you have a decent margin of safety now versus you did you know four or five months ago. Okay, so those are tips and I bonds. Now the next would be commodities. So commodity tracking fund, for example, where you're buying a broad, broad basket of commodities, that's up about 15% this year, but that's after being down 11% over the past three months. So it's going to be a lot more volatile than tips, and which means more upside. Tips have limited upside, whereas obviously commodities can go up 20, 30, 40, 50% and be a much better hedge against inflation, right? 9% inflation, this is up 15%, you're doing even better. Than the underlying inflation. Okay. Now, I probably wouldn't recommend commodities directly, but I would recommend commodity related stocks because you can find the best of breed, the ones with good management, good assets, etc., that are going to focus on the particular commodities that uh, are, are likely to, to do better. You know, we talk about natural gas over oil, for example. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to go to a break, and on the back half, I'm going to finish this up. So give me a call at 888 99 chart. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. 
Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with Audio Companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Invest Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Or they can leave their questions anytime 24 7 in the Invest Talk voice bank. Remember, for live or recorded questions, the number never changes. 888-99-CHART. Now, before the break, we were discussing inflation hedges, and I was getting down to physical commodity producers, and that's what I like over the commodity funds. Like I said uh, before the break, you can find good management, companies with good assets, companies with uh, exposure to various commodities that 
are likely to do better versus other because others because of uh, supply demand dynamics, whether that's increasing uh, supply or demand uh, secularly because of uh, EVs, for example, and a move towards electric vehicles. I think copper in, in this sense. And then on the supply side is you know what companies uh, or what industry is under uh, has been underinvested in new supply and what has been overinvested. For example. Energy obviously has been underinvested with new supply over the past couple of years and thus driving prices higher. So that's why I like the individual commodity names over kind of the broad basket uh, commodity ETFs or, or funds that you're going to, uh, to buy. And then lastly, another decent inflation hedge would be real estate of some kind. Real estate investment trusts oftentimes are, are good hedges against inflation because their portfolios of buildings, office buildings, hotels, shopping malls, etc. They tend to be able to push through higher rent increases when prices in general are high. Uh, companies uh, that that are uh, that they're renting from or that are renting uh, the space uh, from them are just charging higher prices. And so their overall profits are higher and allows their the, the REITs to to increase the rents. Uh, and so it's a good hedge against inflation typically on that side. Now, the biggest negative, though, is that it is affected by higher interest rates. So when you have inflation and interest rates going up as quickly as they have recently, then it can be a big headwind. Now, typically, you're not seeing rate increases as dramatically as, as, as this. Um, but that means at a time like this, this is probably a good buying opportunity for REITs and real estate focused uh, in investments that are, are seeing some near-term headwinds. Uh, because what happens is rising rates put downward pressure for a couple of reasons. High short-term rates cut into REITs profitability, higher cost of capital, and B, higher bond yields are compete with REITs, with REITs in general. So for example, if high-yield corporate bonds are yielding 7-8%, maybe that's a better place to be than a REIT yielding 5 or 6%, okay? So that's why REITs tend to sell off a little bit more and have come under pressure because they need to yield more in order to attract capital. Uh, so that's typically what happens in the REIT space as well. So hopefully it gave you uh, an understanding of where to think about uh, how to hedge against inflation, and tr but try not to be the one that chases, that chases the returns, chases the narrative. You should always have some sort of in inflation hedge in your portfolio, and you have to figure out which one makes the most sense for you based on your risk tolerance level. If you're relatively low risk, I bonds, and tips, those are, are probably better. If you have medium to high uh, risk tolerance level, there should be more commodities, REITs, etc. Now let's keep things moving and pivot back to the voice, Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier at 888 chart. Hey guys, I'm just wondering if I'm the ticker symbol PRHSX, down about 17% on the stock. I'm just wondering if it's something I should hold on to or get rid of. All right, looking at PRHSX, which is the T. Real Price Health Sciences Mutual Fund. And top holding is United Health, Thermo Fisher, Eli Lilly, Danaher, and AstraZeneca, top five. And this is a good example of why we say healthcare companies, healthcare industry in general, doesn't do well in an inflationary environment. 
part of it's the same thing about REITs, about how uh, a lot of these pharmaceutical names are bond proxies and higher rates means lower prices for the bond proxies because they need to compete for capital. So that's part of it. Uh, and it's just typically harder to keep up with inflation uh, in these uh, these areas. So, you know, not an not an area that I would be invested in. This isn't a fund that I would be invested in either. Uh, so I would probably move on from PRHSX, the T. Rowe Price Health Sciences Fund. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Rick Deiter said, Google, what is your process when you and Steve have different views on a stock? Uh, I can't help but notice uh, the discon disconnect on the Google opinion. Steve seems to be a big fan of the stock to on a recent show that you were thinking of purchasing the stock himself and whether Justin talks about the stock, he's talking about serious headwinds due to Google being an advertisement company and there being better options. Uh, well, I agree with St Steve on Google long-term that Google is a, is a very good company. Uh, and that Steve and I can disagree uh, and typically we, we disagree on minor points uh, on time horizon, for example. And that's really what this is here. Near term, not a fan of Google because of the things that you stated, the headwinds of the economy and lower ad spend. And that's basically their entire business. Longer term, Google has uh, a good platform. It has great franchise. I mean, the search platform is incredible as well as the YouTube platform is has a lot of room to run. And I think uh, is going to continue to build out with YouTube shorts, et cetera. I think there's growth there. Um, so I like Google as a company. It's on our watch list. Now we don't own it for clients, um, but we, you know, we do have prices that we would pick it up. Um, it's still lower from here, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's not dramatically lower 10, 15%. Um, so you know, we, we like Google, uh, we do sometimes have uh, varying opinions and that's okay. You should always have that. Anybody, any two people that always see eye to eye on everything, well, that that's not healthy. You want somebody to challenge your, your opinions, to challenge your thought, and that's how you get better. Um, so hopefully that gave you a bit of a understanding of our process of when we have a little bit different outlooks. I don't say we think we have dramatically different outlooks on Google, just probably near term. Thanks for the question or the review. Now let's pivot over to the Fed tightening path uh, because we are we are in Fed week. They start their meeting tomorrow and they will announce it on Wednesday, but it's pretty locked in that the Fed's going to raise 50 base, sorry, 75 basis points on Wednesday. But the big question isn't about this next meeting. The market knows it. It's priced in. It's going to be about their sentiment towards future rate increases. And so far, the market is putting a probability of about a 50% chance of a 75 basis point increase again in September. And oh, sorry, a 50 basis point uh, increase in September from you know, after this one, and then another and 42%, that would be 75 basis points. Once again, I think it's probably going to be 50. And I think it's going to potentially transition down to 25. As we go through uh, the next month, month and a half of economic data that is likely to continue to show deceleration. And you're going to get another data point tomorrow. What is tomorrow's data point? I remember it was something 
relatively significant. Let's see. Let me pull it up here. Yeah, it's the Richmond Fed Manufacturing Index. You're also going to see new single-family homes sold. So that's going to be uh, an interesting data point to, to look at. Um, but I want to touch on what the Fed is pricing in, and the Fed is, or not, the market is pricing in for the Fed. And so far, right now, they're pricing in by the middle of next year, the Fed is going to start cutting rates. Okay. So their belief is that the Fed will keep raising interest rates to about 3% by year end, but that will be the end of it. And they'll quickly start cutting by the middle of the year. So a good way to look at this is the one year rate is at 3%. Now that's still above the 1.5 to 1.75 Fed funds target that it currently is at. But what it's telling you is that over the next year, they expect the, the Fed funds rate to be roughly around 3%. Okay, which if they do raise uh, 75 basis points for the next two meetings, that would put you above that 3% level. Okay, so it's basically saying that this 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 hike and then September will all be all she wrote for the Fed funds rate for a little while. And this is based on interest rate swaps and derivatives, etc. So the, the Fed is expected to lift the Fed funds rates to about 3.3, excuse me, 3.3% this year, but go down to 2.5 by the middle of 2024, middle of 2024. And the Fed has cut rates within a year of raising them several times in the past, most recently, 2019, as they, they were raising rates in the previous December of 18. And by July of 2019, they were cutting rates. So this is not unprecedented. They can go from hiking to cutting in a relatively short period of time. Now we have an inverted yield curve, which often pertains to a weaker economy. And that's what probably should be expected. Okay. But there's definitely two ways to think about it. As the Fed tries to slow growth, they've been purposely doing that. And investors have picked up on the signs that the economy is slowing. Weaker housing demand, weaker consumer spending reports, uh, and and that's certainly reinforcing their belief that there will be a Fed rate cut sooner rather than later. Now, others they think of it the other way that yeah they might pause, but maybe they won't cut because the consumer balance sheet is strong, tight labor market, etc. So and, and then inflation will remain relatively elevated. So all both of those are relatively good arguments. I think both hold water. But it's going to be all about how the data evolves over the next six months. Clearly, it's going to weaken, but by how much? And if we get a 75 basis point increase this month, this uh, this week, the Fed's policy rate is going to be about neutral. So it's no longer going to be a headwind to the economy or uh, a tailwind. Um, so that's kind of where we're expecting the Fed funds rate to, you know, path to be over the next year. Now let's go to Noel in Napa, looking at ARLP. Uh, good afternoon, Justin. Yeah, uh, kind of like it. it. The only thing I don't like is it's limited partnership, and it generates a K-1, so mm -hmm. I'll have to uh, pay the tax preparer extra money at the mm -hmm. end of the year. But uh, mm -hmm. what do you think of ARLP? Yeah, I agree with it. I like that you're leading with that, so you understand the ramifications of investing in a limited partnership, and that 6.5% yield 
not quite as good when it's taxed at your ordinary income tax rate as opposed to a qualified dividend. So understanding that difference, but the fact that they're uh, going to earn five dollars and eighteen cents next year, only a twenty-one dollar stock. Uh, they they produce coal for utilities, and guess what? Uh, natural gas is getting more expensive, and natural gas and coal tend to be substitutes. A lot of power plants can run on either, and when coal gets or when uh, natural gas gets too expensive, coal becomes a, a better, a more economical way to produce energy. Maybe not as green, but that's often a trade-off. And that hasn't been the case for a long period of time where natural gas prices have been so low. But now that we're the largest exporter of natural gas through LNG, etc., uh, our natural gas supplies are, I don't say dwindling, but at, at lower levels than uh, they typically have been over the last five, 10 years. So uh, I think coal is going to be continued to be needed, and this is a, a good buy. So I like it. Thanks for the call. Now, Steve and I have said many times that we appreciate the diverse Invest Talk audience. And in fact, we receive caller questions from across America and around the world. So let's take a question now. This one from Denmark. Hello, Invest Talk. This is Yannick from Denmark. I had a question about Invesco versus State Street Corp. They have take the symbols IVZ and STT. Now, the first one, Invesco, is a financial company investing in uh, assets, and uh, State Street Corp is is the same. The first one is is below book value now, but would like to hear your take on this kind of stock right now. Since if the stocks rise, these companies might too. Thank you a lot. Bye. All right, looking at State Street and Invesco, and they're similar in the sense that they are mainly uh, investment management companies. Uh, but Invesco is more of the pure play, meaning they uh, they provide investment management services to retail. That's 67% of their managed assets. So they have a lot of ETFs and they 33% of their business comes from institutional clients. They have about $1.4 trillion in assets under management, 47% equity, 5% balanced, 22% fixed income, et cetera, 22% money market, et cetera. And they're going to ebb and flow with the markets. Why? Because if their total, if, if asset prices go up in general, they take a percentage of that and they do better. Okay. So it's going to be highly correlated to the overall market. Now state street is similar in the fact they have about $4.1 trillion under management, but they have $43.7 trillion in assets under custody. So they have other types of, um, of of custody services that they make money on now, not as lucrative, um, but they're going to be a bit more diversified. So if you're looking for the pure play, then you're going to go with Invesco. If you're going to go for the company that has a bit more diversity to their business, uh, I, I think State Street's the name. I think they're both relatively good values. I will say that. But if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to pick State Street because it has that uh, bigger bigger reach and they have a diversity of their business that I like. So I'm picking State Street. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here each and every weekday is help you achieve your own version of financial freedom which continues after this final break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART.
Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, where Invest Talk hosts and KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein practice parallel investing. That means Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing at investtalk.com. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Keith from Redondo Beach, longtime listener and a big fan. Got a question for you on mixing your politics with your investing. Uh, you always recommend against that, and I think that's a good recommendation. But a lot of companies go out of their way to make overt political statements, like with the recent Supreme Court decision, lots of companies just jumped in there to make big, bold statements. Strikes me that's, that's just going to alienate half the population. Whichever side you take, you're going to alienate the other half. I'm just wondering, I think you do want to keep politics out of your investing, but do you want to avoid companies that take overt political stances? Do you think that's a, a factor in how you might choose or avoid companies? Again, thanks for your show. Really appreciate it. Talk to you later. This is a great question and a great reminder to everybody to keep your politics out of your investment decisions. The market doesn't care about what you think the world should or shouldn't be or how it should go. The market only cares about what will happen and what is going, what is happening uh, in the economy. So you always have to put your politics aside because it adds another layer of potential emotion to what you're doing. And you want to try to avoid that at all costs. Now, that's a good question, though. And I do think it's bad business practice to get overtly, um, overtly political uh, in, in certain ways. Now, that also depends, though, on what type of company you are uh, or what company it is and who their typical audience is and typical customer. So if the majority of your customers lean left and you make some sort of statement on uh, Roe v. Wade, for example, you're probably not going to alienate many people because most of your audience is left anyway, right? It was on the left to say that. So it, it depends. I do think it's generally bad practice in business to get overly political, especially in today's hyper politicized environment where it evokes a ton of emotion and, and can alienate um, people. Just look what's happening with, with Elon, right? And, and Tesla, if you look at the trends of uh, who, what, what brands that people are thinking about when buying an EV, it was historically well above 50% of people were thinking of, I'm going to buy a Tesla since his out, you know, his, his potential buying of Twitter and talking about how he's going to vote Republican, et cetera, that has actually dropped below the 50% mark down to about 46% from the, so they lost about 10% of the, of the potential EV market based on his now political views. Suddenly he got political. Um, and that's a good example of how most Tesla uh, investors or Tesla buyers are going to be leaning left, right? Because they, they want to be good for the environment. They, they think that an EV will do that. And then you back, uh, the party that tends to be on the right. And suddenly that can be bad business practice. And, and clearly that's happened. Um, so you know, there's other things with Elon that I could go on and on about, but that's just one small microcosm 
Um, so it definitely depends on what they're saying, how staunch they are on their opinion, and how much of their base they're actually alienated. Is it a small percentage or is it a large percentage like in, in the, uh, the case of Tesla? So I uh, hope that helped. And yeah, hope that helped. All right, let's get to what are we going to pivot to? Lastly, oh, we're going to look at inflation and inflation expectations. And what's interesting is uh, inflation has likely peaked. Um, now, this probably was going to peak at the beginning of near the beginning of the year. Uh, but obviously, we had the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and that uh, pushed inflation back up. But as of late, gasoline prices are now down 10% from their mid-June high. You have wheat prices down 37% from mid-May. Corn prices down 27% from mid-June. The cost of shipping goods from China is now 11.4% lower than it was a month ago, and it's actually down year over year. So there are a lot of price pressures that are easing. And the market is reflecting that as well, where break-even rates are down from 3.6 in March down to 2.67 now over the next five years. So the market is certainly starting to price in that inflation has peaked. And frankly, I agree with the market. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which have now exceeded their 43.7 million. Thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.